I've used this book as a reference when we revisited um, the book of Jonah, and that sort of came out of Sim's teaching back in October that really just pierced my heart, and I, I just felt such a need to go back and, you know, and study the book of Jonah again and just revisit it and share with you the things that I learned through studying this, um, this book. Um, the interesting thing is, in, in the book of Jonah, the love of God is not mentioned one time. But yet, but yet, the love of God is displayed in a very powerful way, in the sense that God sent the prodigal prophet, <laughs> Jonah, to a land that he did not want to go to. In fact, we all know he went the exact opposite direction, as far in the known world as he could possibly get, instead of going where God wanted him to go. And, you know, there, there's a lot of understandings about why he didn't do it. I mean, it could have been because, you know, how, you know, well, I'm sure we would agree that we would not want to go to a place where the people there treat their enemies so horrifically. And I'm not going to go into all, because we did this before. And just a little bit of a review. But he also did not want to go because he didn't feel like as if the people of Nineveh deserved forgiveness, compassion, kindness, or grace. And so he went in the other direction. And we've probably in some way, shape, or form or other have done that with God, not wanting, you know, well, well, this person, and maybe it's not even sharing the gospel. Maybe it's in some other way. Well, this person doesn't really deserve what you're asking me to give them. Or this person doesn't, it doesn't deserve, this person doesn't deserve my time or my effort. I don't care how you want to explain it. What we sitting here, and I know all of you here, we have all experienced the love of God. We have experienced the love of God to the extent that Yeshua, our Messiah, is our Redeemer. And it was the love of God that sent him to this earth. It was the love of God that caused him to walk in such divine love and mercy throughout his lifetime. Blessing, healing, excuse me, delivering. And we just looked at the, the whole story of the gathering madmen on Wednesday night in chapter 2 in the book that we're studying um, you know, the handbook for survival of the end days. And, you know, when, when you read how truly evil that whole region had become because of these madmen, 
But yet, Yeshua brought the love of God to these who were held captive by the enemy of their souls. Not the lover of our soul. They were held captive by the enemy of our soul. And Yeshua brought the light, mercy, grace, and love of his father into that place that set those people free. Resident within all of us is that same love, mercy, kindness, compassion, and grace. And the Lord calls us to the same ministry as he called his son to bring that love into the places of devastation. We are doing that vicariously through our offering to Turkey, bringing the love of God through a ministry that will go and help and show the love of God. We can't always be in the place of most need, but we can send those who are able to go to the places of the most need. So as I was, um, well, as I was looking through this book, and let me, let me just read the, uh, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to find them where my, where my mind is right now. There are several places in Scripture. There's a place in 1 John. And I'm sorry, I didn't star where that place is. Wait a minute. Hold on. I did star something. Maybe this is it. Okay. All right, just bear with me. Four, three... Oh, maybe not. I'm sorry. Well, you'll just have to trust me that. Okay, so let me, let me just start by saying this, and this is in 1 John 5, 19. It says, we know that we are of God, and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. But also in the scriptures. Okay, so we know that the world, the whole world, is under the sway of the evil one. But we also know that in the scriptures, and if someone knows exactly where it is, because I don't know that I've... In the scriptures, we read that Yeshua the Messiah came into the world not just for us, not just to die for us, but to die for the whole world. There are two places in the New Covenant Scriptures where it says that in that specific language. Where the writer, whether it was Rabbi Shaul or whether it was Yochanan, I can't remember, where I, but I looked up two places where it says that Yeshua came not just for us, in other words, those who were already redeemed, but for the 
entire world, the whole world. That is what, there is a qualifier. It's not just some of the world, it is the whole world. And when, when we read in John 3.16, we read, for God so loved the world. Not God so loved just a few people, or not God so loved just the Jewish people, but God so loved the entire world, every person who ever lived on the face of this earth, God loves and desires for them to come to salvation. 1 John 2, 2, thank you. Let's, let me read that. Because it's nice to read it right from the word. 1 John 2, 2, there it is. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. And there is another place, but at least I was able to read the one, the one that I found. And when I think about Jonah, and I think about us, the one difference between, I mean, there may be more differences, but the one difference that I see between Jonah and us is that Jonah only understood in part the concept of Messiah and believed that there would be a Messiah to come, which in, for those who lived in the old covenant times, when you latched on to that reality that a Messiah is coming and he will lay down his life for the sins of the world. That was enough to have your names written in the Lamb's book of life. We read about Abraham. Abraham, who believed God. What did he believe? That there would be a Messiah coming. He had a picture of it on Mount Moriah when he took his son up to the altar when he thought he was going to need to sacrifice his son and the Lord said, now I know that you love me. Now I know that you worship me because you have not withheld your son from me. And however Abraham was able to understand that, there was right in front of him a picture of what would come. However, God would not stay his hand for his own son. His own son would need to die. Unlike Isaac, where God stayed the hand of Abraham, God did not stay his own hand when it was time for his son to die for the sins of the world. So that faith that Abraham had was accounted to him for righteousness. And so we know that when we go to heaven, we will sit with Abraham and all those who believed. Believed in the Messiah who was to come. So the difference between Abraham and us is that we have experienced the Messiah. 
his coming, his death, and his resurrection. We have experienced the love of the cross in a very real way. We know beyond doubt that Yeshua took the penalty for our sins. So when you think of it, it's like Rabbi Shaol wrote in the book of Romans, we are without excuse because we are this side of the cross. And so we remember that when God sent Jonah to the Ninevites, it was about souls. It was about the love that God had for the 120,000 souls in Nineveh. And as I reread some of what is in this book, I came across a concept called common grace. And it so struck me because I learned about the mercy and love of God to another degree that I was not aware of. And Tim Keller speaks about common grace in this way. We learn that believers are to respect and learn from the wisdom God gives to those who don't believe. I want to just say a few things, maybe one thing about that statement. How many of us will pick up a book or see a video on YouTube and we'll see that it's by someone who's not a believer and we immediately dismiss it. Because we think we can't learn anything from someone who is not a believer. That is a fallacy. Um, I'm going to say this out loud, and maybe some of you who know who this person is, you're going to go, oh, how could she? I want to tell you who I listen to on a pretty regular basis. The man's name is Russell Brand. And I listen to him because he is fair, he is wise, he is intelligent, he has insight, he has a very, he has a tendency to use foul language, very foul language, but let me just tell you, I have learned so much from that man, and I am so thankful that I didn't immediately dismiss him the first time I heard a word that, well, I would never use that word. And I think of the wisdom and insight I would have missed had I not tuned into this man. Now, I'm not saying you all need to go listen to him. If God so leads you, or if you're just curious, well, give it a shot. 
But I have learned so much. He is probably one of the few people that you can depend on to be neutral. There are a number that I listen to who I feel are neutral. But this man is very different. And I respect him for his neutrality. I respect him for his wisdom. And I respect him because God has given to him common grace. So I'm going to read to you what common grace is. So Tim Keller speaks about common grace in terms of the pagan sailors. Now remember, the sailors in the midst of the storm, they were the ones that were trying to save the ship for the welfare of everyone on the ship while Jonah was in the hold sleeping. The pagans were throwing stuff overboard to lighten the ship, hoping that maybe that would help. They were also calling out to their gods. Well, where was Jonah calling out to his god? Asleep in the boat, not caring about the welfare of the rest of the people on the ship. So not only did he not care about the Ninevites, he didn't care about the sailors. He didn't play favorites when he didn't like you. <laughs> he was across the board with the people he didn't like, whether they were Ninevites or the people on the ship. Well, you're not like me, so I don't really care about you. So this is, and this is very short because we're, I'm going to wrap this up. The pagan sailors provide a graphic portrayal of what theologians have called common grace. Now, do you all know about common grace? I did not know about common grace until I read this. And then I researched it on the internet. And there's a basis for common grace in Scripture. In fact, I'm going to read it to you. If you want to turn over to Psalm 145, I'll just read it quickly. If I even have it. And of course I don't have it. Marked in my book. And I'm just using one example. Because of time. For the sake of time. So Psalm 145. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all. Who do you think that means? All, sinner and saints alike. And his tender mercies are over all his works. Who do you think that means? All, everyone. And this isn't the only place, but it was the easiest one. It was the one I remembered. So, we see in Scripture that there is a thread where God blesses. And it's his nature because he's compassionate and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. So, 
The pagan sailors provide a graphic portrayal of what theologians have called common grace. In this episode, hope, justice, and integrity reside not with Jonah, but with the captain and the sailors who tried to save themselves and the ship. Though blameless victims, the sailors never cry injustice. Finding themselves in a dangerous situation not of their making, and whose making was this dangerous situation? Jonah's. And he's asleep. Finding themselves in a dangerous situation not of their making, they seek to solve it for the good of all, including Jonah. Never do they wallow in self-pity, berate an angry God, condemn an arbitrary world, target the culprit Jonah for vengeance, or promote violence as an answer. The doctrine of common grace is the teaching that God bestows gifts of wisdom, moral insight, goodness, and beauty across humanity, regardless of race or religious belief. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. That is, God is ultimately enabling every act of goodness, wisdom, justice, and beauty, no matter who does it. Isaiah 45.1 speaks of Cyrus, a pagan king, whom God anoints and uses for world leadership. Isaiah 28, 23-29 tells us that when a farmer is fruitful, it is God who has been teaching him to be so. That means that all good and great artistic expressions, skillful farming, effective governments, and scientific advances are God's gifts to the human race. I love music, all kinds of music. And I listen to all kinds of music, not just music that believers write. Because there is such beauty in the compositions of men and women who do not know God. My favorite classical composers were all Russian, atheists. But they are the most beautiful pieces of music. It came through common grace that God had given to these men and women, to bring beauty into a dying world. These are undeserved gifts of God's mercy and grace. They are also called common. That is, they are distributed to any and to all. There is no indication that the monarch or the farmer mentioned in Isaiah embraced God by faith. Now listen carefully. Common grace does not regenerate the heart. It does not save the soul. And it does not create a personal covenant relationship with God. But without common grace, the world would be an intolerable place to live in. It is a wonderful expression of God's love to all people. Certainly, common grace was staring Jonah right in the face. 
Jonah himself was a, a recipient of what has been called special grace. In other words, he had a relationship with the Lord. He knew the one true God. He had received the word of God, a revelation of God's will not available to human reason or wisdom. Jonah was a follower of the Lord, the true God. So how was it possible that the pagans were outshining Jonah? You understand how they were outshining Jonah, correct? Common grace means that non-believers often act more righteously than believers, despite their lack of faith. Whereas believers filled with remaining sin often act far worse than their right belief in God would lead us to expect. All this means that believers should be humble and respectful toward those who do not share their faith. They should be appreciative of the work of all people, knowing that non-believers have many things to teach them. Amen. 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 Yes, I know who Alan Dershowitz is. Yes. Absolutely. There are so many. And I think of Dennis Prager, for anyone who knows Dennis Prager. He is a God-fearer. He, he loves the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He lives by the commandments. I love listening to him, especially when he's talking about Torah. He has taught me things about Torah. Can you imagine if, I mean, this is just me personally. If I, oh, That's Dennis Prager. He's not a Messianic Jew, so I'm not going to read his stuff. I cannot even tell. I'm going to share with you some things I learned about the book of Exodus when we have our Passover Seder. What nuggets of truth. God's heart is for us to see the common grace in the people that are not yet believers. And to receive the wisdom and insight and yes, the beauty of who they are. Not only because God blesses them with common grace, but because of something else that you have heard in this place week after week after week, because they bear the image of God. And that is the reason why God blesses them with common grace, because they bear his image. So he places beauty in all of his creation. In Ecclesiastes, we learn he has made all things beautiful in their time. And who are we to be such spiritual snobs that we will only accept from another believer? That's a dangerous thing. That's a dangerous thing. God wants us to see as he sees. But it means coming out of our comfort zone. It means watching people that maybe we wouldn't ordinarily watch, like a Russell Brand type. Again, I'm cautioning you if you want to watch him. It's little, you know, what do they call colorful language? But let me tell you, let me just tell you the wisdom 
and the fairness and the integrity of this man. And I'm, this is not a plug for Russell Brand because I could plug Dennis Prager. I could plug Je Ben Shapiro. There are a lot of people that are very wise individuals that God loves and he has blessed with common grace and we miss it because we're too stuck up in our faith to be willing. To be willing to see the beauty in a non-believer. And he says that too, sometimes, you know, in his little, um, you can only watch part of what he um, reports on um, YouTube. The rest of it is on Rumble because if he put everything on YouTube, they would take it down because he speaks the truth. So another reason for us to look at the people in the world with love and compassion not just because they bear the image of God, but because God has given them a grace that we can benefit from if we would simply be humble and bear the love of God the way he would have us bear that love in this world that is in desperate need of his love. So, Father, we are so grateful. We're grateful that you never leave us in a condition that can be improved on. And so you take this, this concept of common grace and you show us in our everyday lives how it's all around us, that common grace. But sometimes, Lord, we are so narrow in who we will listen to. When you want to give us the wideness of your mercy and the wideness of your love and a broader horizon for our lives. We bless you, Lord, that you continue to teach us through the book of Jonah. Nowhere is your love mentioned, but yet your love is on every page. Your love for Jonah, your love for the sailors, your love for the Ninevites, and your just constant love for us so that we can go back to this book again and again and we can pull out treasures, maybe with the help of somebody like Tim Keller or maybe... Your divine spirit just showing us what you want us to see, what you want us to hide in our hearts, Lord, that we might not sin against you, and hide in our hearts so that we, Lord, would walk in the way Yeshua walked, with grace, with mercy, with love, 
and with compassion to all, to all. We know, Lord, we know that we have the power of your love through your Ruach in us. Yeshua in us, the hope of glory, pouring out daily your love for others. And I just want to close my prayer by praying for someone who is listening to this message who may not know the love of God. God sent his son to this earth to demonstrate his love for you. Whoever you are listening to this message, if you are seeking, if you are searching, God promises you that when you look for him, when you seek for him, when you search for him, you will find him. That is his promise. And it's not in the new covenant, it's in the old covenant. That's where it's first mentioned. So if you search for God, you will find him. And you will find a love, a matchless love, like none other you have ever received, none other that you have ever known. No earthly love can compare. Because he alone was willing to send his son to this earth to show the father's love in everything that he did, everything that he said, right down to laying down his life for each one of us, for our sins, because we are a sinful people. Sin is not a popular word in our culture. It's not a popular word in our world, but we are sinful people. And without the atoning blood of Jesus, Yeshua, we are helpless and hopeless. But God has made a way through the death of his son that we are forgiven for our sins because God is a holy God and there is only one way to reach him. John spoke about it at the beginning of the service. There is only one way to approach him and that is through the shed blood of his son, Jesus, Yeshua. That is our only hope. That is the only way that our sins are covered by that precious blood of the sinless Son of God, Jesus, Yeshua. And if you believe that today, if you believe that Jesus died in your place for your sins, can you believe that that's all that God asks of you? To turn from your old life, to receive that gift of eternal life through Jesus' death on the cross for your sins so that when you leave this world, you will live in eternity in a place where there is no more suffering, there is no more death, there is no more sickness, there is no more sorrow because we are in the place where Jesus is, where Yeshua is, where God the Father is, a place of peace and beauty and joy forevermore. God promises that in this life, he can make us into a new creation and he will give us the power through his living spirit in us to turn from our sinful ways and to walk with him in newness of life. My encouragement to you is if you believe these things and if you have accepted these things today is to find a good place where you can grow in your relationship with the Lord. 
find a place that teaches the word of God in its entirety from Genesis to Revelation where you will grow in your love for the Lord, where you will grow in your understanding of his word and where you will have a desire to share that love and understanding with those who do not yet know him. So Father, we thank you that you have made salvation. It's simple for us, but it cost you everything. It cost you the life of your son so that we would be set free from our sins, set free from the shackles and chains of this world to live in freedom and newness of life. We bless you, Lord, and above all, we love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. We love you, Lord. We love you. We bless you. In Yeshua's name, and all God's people said, amen, amen and amen. <laughs> Hallelujah.